1: It's high-level wisdom for new generation leaders. We interview senior-level baby boomers who share their stories, insights, and how-tos for the emerging leadership of millennials. Our mission is to celebrate their accomplishments and aid in preserving their business knowledge. I'm your host, Chris Williams. Hey, everybody, welcome to High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. I am your host, Chris Williams. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, when you get an opportunity, feel free to share this episode because I'm telling you, you are going to love this conversation because you are going to be reminded of a great childhood hero that we all know and love, Mr. Willy Wonka. Yes, you are going to be reminded because I am talking to the CEO of Marriott confectionery company right here in the United States and his name is Brad Van Dam. Listen, he is the CEO of a great chocolate company that not only serves us here in America, but South America and around the world. And so uh, he is the real life Willy Wonka uh, in my personal and humble opinion. Um, but you are gonna get a treat today. Uh, this is a very sweet interview. And yes, I'm using all sorts of chocolate words uh, <laughs> to introduce this, this great gentleman. I had an opportunity to get to know him uh, very briefly, and he, um, he 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 said yes. He said yes to the interview, and he was willing to share his thoughts, his wisdom, his insights. And so uh, I want to make sure that you get an opportunity to hear, so buckle up, listen in no matter where you may be. This is Brad Van Dam, the CEO of Marriage Confectory Company. Mr. Willy Wonka himself, take a listen.
2: I want to welcome Brad to the show. Brad, how are you?
3: I'm good. How are you this morning?
2: I am doing well. So, so Brad, here's what I would like to do to to not hold people's uh anticipation any longer. Feel free to just share with the audience so they have some context, a little bit about who you are, kind of how you even got started in what you're doing, which I find awesome and very cool. But then, you know, what made you um throughout your, your corporate career and kind of your journey, decide that, you know what, this is kind of where I want to go. So kind of take us through that journey for our, for our audience to kind of get some context.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. So I am the president and CEO of our family's second generation chocolate company, and we're located in Hollister, California. We Some of the metrics are, just to give some context, and reminding you, in the grand scheme of things, we're a very small player in the industry. But some of the metrics are 80,000-square-foot uh, facility, 162 employees, and last year we produced a little over 10 million pounds of chocolate products, which I know seems like an unfathomable number to anybody outside of the industry. Again, in the industry at large, that's a fairly small uh, piece of it. Uh, it is, for our family and our business, just a a mark of Success that has gone over a 33-year period, going from startup to a 33-year company, and again last year was another record year of revenue. Incredible performance and improvement in the business, and it's you know as I've told our board and our sh- and in uh, our group here that I have absolutely the best team I've ever had in my time as CEO. I ha- I'm fortunate that I have fantastic people. So how how did I get started in it? Uh, I think it chose me rather than me choosing it. So my background's in electronics. I was in the tech industry. I was a designer, and back then designers were low on the totem pole and we were paid to do what the engineers told us to do. Now they make rock star money to design cool things like iPads and so forth. I thought, okay, you know what? I need to, I need to get a degree in engineering. Otherwise, I'm not going to make any real money. So I was on that path. That's my father started this company, and he reached out to me. He needed some help that he couldn't afford to pay, <laughs> meaning free, meaning me. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Imagine that. But you know, yeah, I was I was 21, 22 years old, and I thought, okay, look, I'm in school and. Okay, well, Dad, I have rent. I need gas money. I'm going to school. I got. He said, "Okay, well, here, move back home, and I can give you money for gas and whatever, and we'll figure it out." I'm like, oh, okay, fine, right? So that's what I did, and I helped at the company. And I mean, I'm one of those stories. It seems like it was probably more like 40 or 50 years ago. I started out fixing equipment, sweeping the floors and cleaning the place and what have you. My dad was Dutch and very old school, and he's like, hey, learn how to keep a factory clean and do this kind of work and maintain the equipment, then maybe you'll get to make the candy. And then there was this natural progression of, you know, one of, the, one of the two candy makers we had left the company, so I just stepped in and started to figure it out. And then so on, and then new people came in, and I trained them, and eventually became in the position to run the plant And, you know, at that time we had 20 employees, and most of them I had trained, just honestly completely by accident. It was startup, run and gun, you know, living hand to mouth on the, you know, on on the food and the dollars coming in and out. It's just really tight, and you do what you have to do. You fix everything. You learn things you never thought you knew how to do, and ran the company, ran the plant itself for a number of years, and then found my way into sales. That was another argument my father and I. We went over that for about six months. I said, you know, the only thing I ever sold was newspapers, and in half the time I couldn't collect the money, so I don't know if I'm the best guy for sales. <laughs> and uh, so we argued about that, and one night at dinner he looked at me, and he said, okay, look, who knows the product like I do? Me. Okay, well, I can't afford to go out and sell. I've got to run the business, so I need you to go sell. I said, Dad, you've got to listen. I'm not doing it. He said, hey, it's okay. Look, I've got a plan. She said, yeah, you always do. Here's the deal. I'm going to pair you up with the uh, VP of sales at our chocolate company, Guitard. And I'm going to pair you up with the VP of sales of Blue Diamond Almonds. They'll show you how to do this. And if you go out, do it for six months. If you're terrible at it, you can go back in the factory, no harm, no foul. If you don't like it, you can go back in the factory, no problem. Well, found out something else I could do in addition to welding and every other thing I learned on this job. And then from sales and moved into, you know, marketing and learned all the finance and so forth. And then officially was put into the CEO role in August of 96. And then my father was diagnosed with cancer. And six months later, he was gone. So all of those... All the scenarios I thought, hey, you know, if things go wrong, I'll call Dad on the phone. Hey, Dad, here's what's going on. Hey, what do you think? Help me out. Help me figure this out. Not going to happen.
2: Right, right.
3: Wow. And I remember at that time, we had, we we had been, at that point, we had been uh, expanded out into five separate buildings on the same street, fortunately. I don't know how we made money back then. So we had purchased land to build a facility and relocate and put all five buildings into one. And I remember everybody looked at me like, what are we going to do? And I said, look, I can go sit in the corner and suck my thumb, or I can go build a candy factory. So I'm going to go build a candy factory. So here I am, I think I was 34 years old, father just died unexpectedly. Because he was so good at prepping, when that happened, we pulled all the employees together, talked to him about what happened and everything. Suppliers, customers, everybody reached out, you know bank, all of our finance partners, everything, and let everybody know what was going on, and the greatest indication of it was, you know what this is how we thought it was going to happen. We're good, are you okay it went wow. it went extraordinarily well for what could have been something very tragic and terrible sure and hey, we secured the financing, the bank trusted an untested team, and a you know a thirty four year old that Obviously, I had an underdeveloped sense of fear and no idea of what was up against. Built a factory, relocated. Forty-nine out fifty employees came with us. We've since expanded on the factory numerous times over the years. The company has grown 700% since the day that I officially took over. And again, bringing us to today, where we make a broad range of premium chocolate products. Chocolate fruits and nuts and caramels and espresso beans and toffees, a wide range of things and distributed throughout North America. Um, Fairport, maybe 12% of revenue is generated by export, which is unusual for a company of our size and in America because the U.S. is such a large country. It's a big economic base to sell products to. So a lot of people don't really look outside the U.S. for sales. And to me, there are a lot of people in the world that love chocolate, and if they have the economic means to buy it and the desire, I'm going to be there. And so we built a, a solid business up and down, mostly into Asia because we're only one ocean away, so it's logistically quick to get to. Uh, also, Asia realizes that a lot of European expats came to America to make premium products. Uh, so a lot of elements that make that very conducive to sales, particularly being in California on the West Coast and shipping over to Asia. We also do in the South Pacific and a little bit in Central America, and obviously Canada as well. But I, I don't consider Canada export as much because similar culture, similar language, similar laws. It's an imaginary line across a piece of dirt. So shipping over the ocean is far different from sending a truck over a border. So, um, yeah, it's been fantastic. A lot of loyal customers, great marketplace. Um, the consumer is very interested in premium products, particularly the millennial consumer. They, I see from you know my nieces and nephews and and the the groups around me, they spend a, a disproportionate amount of their disposable income on premium food and beverage and you know fine dining and you know going to stores like Whole Foods and Sprouts and Fresh Market and so forth to find all the hip and cool new products and brands to try. Uh, there's a resurgence of cooking in the home because people want to explore different tastes and, you know, ethnic foods and, you know, a lot of people are traveling and they want to try to replicate those foods coming home. It's a great time to be in an industry of craft beer, obviously. Wine is is growing very quickly. Premium chocolate, organic foods. It, it's a really good time to be in the food business.
2: Wow, that that is, that is amazing. And so you've been able to go from... I have no idea what I'm doing <laughs> to building a business that allows you to truly be able to, uh, I- explore not only just, uh, the, the, the consumer here in the United States, but around the world. That is, that is to be, to be commended because, uh, you know, it, it, as you mentioned, it, it could have gone south the moment your, your, your father left so abruptly, uh, and, and on a timely, you know, death. And so, I'm interested when when you mentioned the millennials, as as we've been able to see over the last you know these three you know decades of, of of workplace and how things have happened, you, I'm sure within the obviously in the chocolate business you' you're not only employing uh, you know uh, people from all walks of life and different backgrounds, but you're starting to also see in your industry too a surge of millennial input. Uh, as you know, within the workplace as a whole, 52% of the workplace is now uh, millennial-based, and it's going to continue to increase. But what would you say, maybe some of the impacts that the millennials are having on the workplace today that you notice, and maybe even more specifically, probably in your industry?
3: Some of the most interesting things and in the impact is the entrepreneurial spirit. Comparing, let's say, a boomer to a millennial, boomers wanted to get the education or not, depending on where their background was from, get a job, work through an industry, move their way up and so on. And The thought of starting their own business was highly unusual. And when I look at the uh, the people inside of our business that are in that age group, the thought of starting their own business is always on their mind. Whether they have the ability, the finance or otherwise to do it is not a concern right now. They want to be their own boss. And even if they don't necessarily want to start or run their own company, they view it more as they are their own individual personal services company. They're bringing themselves as an entity to the work and they want to get value out of that. They want to be educated. They want opportunity. They want to learn new things. Um, look, you know, the age group right now, the millennials, they're walking around with the world's knowledge in their pocket. So they've had access to the opportunities and ideas and thoughts and potential that are out there at a scale that prior generations have never had. In the workplace, I notice there's there's an impatience. It's a good impatience, though, right? There's an impatience to see progress, to see things move, to see things improve. And I'm not saying that prior generations didn't want that. It's just in prior generations, they were a little more willing to follow chain of command and wait to find out where the changes were going to be, whereas I notice the millennials in our business are just chomping at the bit going, okay, 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 this can be better, this can be better, I have ideas, can I do something? Can I do something about it? Do I have ideas, rather than sitting and waiting? Now, you know, I have to, I have to, to qualify that by saying that I can't stereotype, right? I mean, because there are people of any generation that are the aggressive ones, the movers, the shakers, the want to get stuff done, the idea people. There's the quiet ones that you know that they want to soldier on. There's, there's all flavors. There is that unique fire to Make a difference. Whether it's make a social difference, make a, you know, a, a cause difference, make a difference in a company, in a procedure, in a process. That is something that I notice is very distinct.
2: You know, it, it's, it's, it, that's a, that's a really big, interesting perspective that you have that it's the good impatience. I hadn't heard that one yet. And I, and I do agree. I think that what we're seeing is, is that we're not Seeing uh the opportunities, as you mentioned, it's not a stereotype that we should really label it as, oh, they just want to be CEO in, in, in five days, right? But more so, um, they want to improve because, as you mentioned, they do have the world in their pocket. They have access to the information. They don't have to wait for seven layers of somebody to send them something. They have it today, and they they garner that sort of... Push and drive to improve processes and things, and I'm sure that um you've been able to benefit greatly uh in your industry from from that sort of good impatience that they're able to display so so I'm interested um with those types of things as far as how they're impacting the workplace what about the the this the, the struggle that you've seen how, and maybe let's start with the the boomer side and then we can talk about the millennials but where do you see baby boomers having the most struggle when it comes to interacting with and or, you know, really em- empowering the, the, the millennial uh, inside of the workplace?
3: It's de- it depends on their, and, and this is on both sides, right? This on both, en- both ends of the generational spectrum. It's the desire to collaborate. That's the difference, right? If, if someone is, hey, I'm young, I'm hip, I'm cool, I know everything, so get out of my way, well, that's not going to work. And if you have someone from an older generation saying, hey, I've got all this experience and, you know, you don't understand and, I'm, you know, I have so much more experience, I know so many things, that doesn't work either. So it's really the ability to blur that line. And I, I cheat at that a little bit. And, and the reason is because, okay, I'm at the very tail end of the baby boomer, age range, right, born in 1963, and by the way, I refuse, <laughs> I refuse to grow up, I have to get older, but I don't have to grow up, <laughs> that's and right. That's right. as a result of that, I am, I'm, I'm always shifting gears, right, new, new music, new music, that's one example, my friends' kids that are in their 20s, I'm, I know the music that they're listening to. Right? I'm not sitting there back in the day listening to big bands saying, well, you know, this is how it was when I was a kid. Right? I'm, I'm always moving forward on this. And so that's been a big advantage to be able to identify and connect, right? That just bridging that gap and being interested in the other side, right? One of the things that really bothers me about, you know, about the attitude about millennials in general, and, and I think that probably comes from the boomers, right? I mean, look. My grandparents thought my parents are a bunch of spoiled princes and princesses. My parents thought we were, you know, we think our kids. So every generation prior to thinks to the other ones are a bunch of spoiled rotten. And you see that when you hear some people speak of the millennial generation. They come up with words like, like they're lazy, they're entitled, they're spoiled, and so forth. And I'm like, no, they're not. And, and this is a fact. Uh, this, the source of this is Inc. Magazine. It was the top five things millennials value at work. Workplace flexibility and maintaining balance. Adequate feedback to support. Coached instead of being micromanaged. Competitive salary. That's number four on the list. And then meaningful work and to contribute to society. And my question to anybody older is, what of those five things do you not want? We all want those same five things. Those are very human. Right. The only difference is the older generation was willing to put up with not having that for security and the potential for advancement. It was just how the generation's wired. Flexibility, never asked for it, not an issue. Feedback, you got it, maybe you didn't, and maybe you only got it and it was bad. Micromanaged was, oh, there's, you know, look, it was built on this hierarchical structure. Um, salary, you know, you got to be competitive. Or you're not going to attract anybody. But meaningful work. Who can say? Well, I don't want meaningful work. I don't care. So boomers and millennials are exactly the same in their desires because they're we're all human beings. The difference is the older generation was willing to put up without it, and the newer, and the current generation is not willing to put up without it. They're like, no. Why not have both? Right? And I'm and and what I do know is that anybody. And specifically speaking to the boomers, as you ask that, if they're provided those things, interest in them as a person and not just as a skill production unit, so to speak, to really make it as cold as it can be, right? And I don't use that term. I'm just saying that way on the other end, right? If you just, if you just treat people as, as, a, as a worker, you really don't care about them as a person or understand that they have a personal life and hopes and dreams that may not involve their job. Giving them feedback who doesn't want to be given a high five and say, hey, you're doing a great job or let to be, you know, known that, hey, you're slipping here and here's where you need to fix it instead of broadsiding them on some random Wednesday with that information. Coaching someone, helping them, like when they kid, right, watch youth sports. The best coaches develop kids and they're interested in them and the worst ones yell at them from the sidelines, right? So, I mean, just take those things into mind. It's the same thing everybody wants. I mean, Here's I, I collect quotes, and here's one, and I won't tell you who it's from, because I'll give, give it away. So the quote is, "Tomorrow, everybody, or practically everybody, will have had the education of the upper class of yesterday and will expect equivalent opportunities." That's why we face the problem of making every kind of job meaningful and capable of satisfying every educated man and woman." Sounds like the millennial, right? Yeah. <laughs> that quote is Peter Drucker from 1959. Wow. That is, that's the, that's the backup to what I'm proposing is that we're no different. We all want the same things. It's just we were willing to put up with it, and the current generation is not because there is an abundance of opportunity out there. The world's knowledge in their pocket, and the ability to start their own thing. They can GoFundMe. They can do a Kickstarter They can go do whatever they want. And and, and don't we want that for our kids? I know I want that for my daughter. I'm like, look, you're the generation that gets to go out and do what you want. You want to do what you feel is most important. And mind you, given those elements, they will work extraordinarily hard. You will rarely find a harder working group of people than the current age range, let's say 18, 20 to 35 years old. You will rarely find a harder working group of people. If they're in the right frame, in the right kind of company that has the right values and the right culture. And I think that's always been true. I just think that there were prior generations were willing to um, take the damage in the interest of their kids and their family and security and whatever else it might be.
2: You know, you bring up a very good point because I think what most people uh, miss is that that element is that for all of the rhetoric and all of the typecasting that we can do for our generations, even Gen Xers, right? The thing that we miss is, is that uh, I think you said it best um, for any of our listeners out there who are baby boomers, you know what you have done in order to uh, improve or 2.0 your child's life versus the one that you had. And so uh, as a result, <laughs> that means that uh millennials come to the workplace better suited, better equipped, uh, and better spaced because as a parent, you have done the right thing um as far as raising your children to be willing to speak up, to be willing to demand better, and and not to just accept status quo, right? So so you bring up a very interesting point because I think many people do not come to the table, right, when, when, when understanding the millennial from that perspective. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, you, 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 you not only worked hard because you're a hard worker, but you also knew in the back of your mind that you wanted your daughter to have the best opportunities in the world, right? And, Correct. and, and so I think that that's a, that's a, that's a very interesting, uh, uh, piece of context that for our listeners to really walk away with, to kind of step back and think about, you know, and, and here's the funny part, right? <laughs> you know, as millennials, they're going to do it with their kids. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, it, the, the 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 cycle of improvement will continue, um, but the impact that it has on the workplace will look a little different. There'll be new challenges at that time. There'll be new things that, that will come about, but uh, you bring up a really great point. So, so let's talk about, um, maybe the tail end of the millennial. Let's, let's talk about the, 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 the tail end of the millennial who is in their 30s. They're, you know, 28 to 34. They're, they're, they're probably mid management, right? And, and they're kind of waiting in the wings. You know, they, they know they're, they're wanting that opportunity to, to, to step into leadership, senior leadership within a company, or maybe it is, you know, starting their, their own company, or maybe they said, you know, no, I really would like to just, you know, continue to grow, uh, you know, my, my position for where I am.
1: All right. Well, there you have it. You have had an opportunity to hear from Mr. Willy Wonka himself, the CEO of Marriage Confectory Company right here in the United States, Brand Bad Dam. Listen, that is just part one. There is a part two coming in two days. Um, So I know you're really excited. Go out there and get you some chocolates. You can definitely go find it in a lot of different places, as he mentioned uh, here. If you have not had an opportunity to hear our first interview, feel free to go back and listen to the first episode. It's with Paula the CEO of outward media in episode two for this particular episode, you are going to hear Brad's very unique approach to his office, how he views the world. And more importantly, how he views the advantages of having millennials even inside of an industry like his. So stay tuned. I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to high level wisdom for new generation leaders. See you in the next episode. There is no hiding good taste. Marich chocolates are a line of delicious, snackable, shareable, and giftable chocolates. Using only amazingly good ingredients, crafted each bite of Marich chocolates to reveal an incredibly craveable taste experience. Visit marich.com for more today and get the sweetness that you deserve.